Well, I mentioned that we're going to talk about uh, something challenging today, and it's an arena that's uh, some often somewhat skipped. We're talking about sin today. In 1973, a gentleman wrote a book called Whatever Happened to Sin? <laughs> and since 1973, and he was documenting um, how even politicians, Abraham Lincoln, used to talk about sin and prayerfully saying, let's repent nationally of our sin. And he was saying since that time to 73, there'd been zero mention in the public sphere, in political speeches, etc., of the word, never appeared, Sin, And I think since 1973, you'd probably agree with me, not a lot's changed in that, uh, in that arena. Whatever happened to sin? Well, the Bible still talks about sin. Not because God's hung up on it, just the opposite. He hates it. He hates what it does to us. He hates the consequences of sin in the world and in our lives. That's why he created heaven and said, let's get away from all sin, all sorrow, all sickness, all disease. Josh, all death is swallowed up in victory. Yeah. But while we're here, while we're on the planet, while we're in this sphere, we've got to deal and talk about and ask God about sin. Now, we're talking about it from the point of view of John. John, the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Yeah. If we're going to take this passage from John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, through the beginning verses of chapter 2, and talk about what, and think about what he's said about sin and about eternal life and about God. Now, John is at the point of writing this, I may have mentioned this earlier, between 90 and a hundred years old. We got anybody here this morning that, not quite. Uh, the prince just died in that category, right? He was between 90 and a hundred, and he'd already been, they'd already attempted to kill him at least once, and he survived. And at the point he's writing this, he's on an island, the island of Patmos, and it's the place where he also wrote the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation. So the story is, and it's not a biblical story, it's by Eusebius, one of the church fathers. So it's actually secular history. Um, he, he talks about John at that point in his life at age 90. And they would gather him up. He was old. They would help him on a journey. And he would go from church to church to church. This is before or after the island, we're not sure, before the exile. But as he would arrive, everybody'd be excited. John, the only living witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one who saw Jesus baptized, saw all of his miracles, and saw his resurrection and ascension. John, John's coming, John's coming. Guess what, guys? John's coming. He'll be here next Lord's Day. He'll be here next Sunday. And they would gather, and they would be so excited. And then John would often surprise them. Eusebius says they would help him up. You know, he had to ha have a little bit of help getting up to speak. He'd look out at his people, and he would often preach a one-sentence sermon. <laughs> you're, you're like going, I wish you'd do that, Bruce. <laughs> Why can't we be like that? So here's one of his sermons. Here's one of his sermons. We're going to look at it today. God is light. 
And in him is no darkness at all. And then he'd sit down. Or he'd stand up. Here was his favorite. His favorite, favorite, and it's also in this book. He stood up and he said, Brothers, sisters, love one another. And he'd sit down. It's like, once you get that one applied, we'll go on to lesson number two. <laughs> By the time you're 90 years old, you've learned there's only a few things that really matter. Right thinking about God and right loving of people. Right thinking about God, right loving about people. That's what we're about in 1 John. Loving God, loving people. Knowing God, loving people. That's really what this book is about. Now, this is the John. Remember that this John that they're going, John's coming, John's coming. This is the John that when the Samaritans weren't going to help him out, he's the one who went to Jesus and said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven on them and burn them to toast? Do you remember that? I mean, he was called the sons, he was one of the twins called the sons of thunder, thunder one, of the, one of the boys, Zebedee's boys. So he went from being this fire breathing, <laughs> call down fire from heaven to brothers, sisters, love one another. How did that happen? Well, 60 years of striving and loving and growing in Christ. 60 years of patterning his life after Jesus led to John's coming, John's coming. And when he was done with his sermons, they didn't go, oh, doggone. They said, now we know what really matters, what really makes a difference, what really follows. So here we are going to dive into the Apostle John's clearest, most powerful, one of his most powerful teachings in first. Now we spent time last week talking about the divinity, the deity, and humanity of Jesus. It was someone who was from the beginning, and he was someone who they could touch, they could hear, they could uh, follow in person. The reason that was so important, and we're going to talk about it today too, is there had risen up a false teaching. The false teaching was called Gnosticism, spelled with a G, G-N-O-S, Gnosticism. Gnosticism was this counter teaching that went against the teaching of Christ. And the apostle John is writing to the churches saying, don't fall into Gnosticism. Gnostic means, uh, it comes from the word gnosko, G-N-O-S-K-O, which means knowledge. They claim they had a certain secret knowledge. You ever heard that before? You know, almost every cult that's in our culture is based on, oh, this is the secret message. Nobody else knows this, just us. Whereas God's word is exactly the opposite. Wide open for everyone at all times. Transparent. In fact, that's what we're looking at today. The Gnostics, however, they didn't believe that Jesus had come in the flesh. They taught that he was a symbolic person, that he was just a figment of their imagination, that he had really not come in the flesh. And here's how they summarized it. Here's how they um, delineated it. They said, um, material things are evil, so Jesus could not have come in a material body. 
because material is evil. So he was spiritual. He was only spiritual because spiritual is good, material is bad. So Jesus never came in a material body. And so he was particularly teaching against that, saying, no, Jesus did come in a physical body. And he was not evil. He was tempted in every way we, we are, yet he was without sin. You know, it reminds me of the little boy who uh, was coloring furiously. And the daddy asked him, he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm painting a picture of God. And the dad said, oh, okay. And still painting fur- furiously. He said, uh, honey, I got to tell you this. No one has ever seen God. They don't know what he looks like. The guy said, well, of course not. I'm not done yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in some ways, we try to put God into our box or tell people what God is like based on our experience or based on our thinking instead of we know who Jesus is. We know him from the eyewitnesses who saw, who heard, who could tune into and even touch the Lord Jesus. So let's dig in. You ready? This is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Should I stop there? Sermon concluded. (laughs) He could. In him is no darkness at all. Verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, uh, for our, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the entire world. Let's pause for a minute and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for the clarity that comes to our hearts about you and about sin. Minister to us today. Lord, get me out of the way and just show us your heart again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's tear this apart in a couple of ways. I just got to start with verse 5 of chapter 1. And I call it this, the message we must receive. If you're, uh, if you're so inclined and have your notes out, jot the word receive down because this is the essence. He wants us to zero in on God before we talk about sin. It only makes sense that we talk about the basics and the, the, the big principles before we get into the details. In this case, this verse is for us to understand and receive. If we don't understand God, 
it's going to be hard for us to understand and deal with sin. Notice what it says. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. We heard it from Jesus. Jesus said this very statement, God is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. No one comes to the Father but through him. God is light. Let's break it down a couple of different ways. God is light in that he is holy. Let's use the word holy, holy, meaning W-H-O-L, holy. He is completely holy. Thinking of Mark's message, get used to different. God is wholly different. He is completely different from us in that he is, he is holy. God is so different from us. Now that should be very uh, attractive, but at the same time, very terrifying. You know, all the people who had an encounter with God, thinking of uh, Isaiah, he's thrown into the vision of God. And what's he say? Woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips because mine eyes have seen the Lord of glory. Oh, remember Peter? When they did that fantastic miracle of the fish, the multiplying of the fish, the uh, great catch. And remember when he came out from the boat and he bent down and bowed down and he, what did he say? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. You know, when people have the right encounter of God, who is light, in whom there is no darkness at all, you can't help but go, he's holy. He is different. He is sinless and he is both terrifying because of his holiness and attractive. It makes us deep down inside go, I want to be like him. I want to be as he is, holy. God is not only holy, God is good. Aren't you glad? If God was merely holy, we'd be in trouble. But God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. See, with God, there's a, a quality that is there to help us. And that's, the, that's what light is for. Light is to expose the darkness. What ultimately does light do? It helps things grow. It gives us um, nutrition. It gives us so much when you think about just light in the world, let alone the goodness of God. We sang about that this morning. He's so good. You know, I would say in him there is no fine print. Did you ever reach out to an advertisement and you get a couple of pages and you know, a couple of clicks into it and realize, yeah, the fine print. Yeah. With God, he says there's no darkness at all. He is thoroughly good. He is completely good. There's no fine print or hidden agenda. One more here. This contrasts God's truthfulness with our deception. This whole passage deals with walking in the light as he is in the light, meaning transparency, meaning authenticity, meaning real life, and being really nothing um, in darkness 
at all. See, what's going on here, he says, in him is no darkness at all. It's a, in a way, in the Greek, it's an interesting way to put it. It's a double negative. No, there is no darkness. <laughs> There's no darkness, no, not any. No darkness, we would say, whatsoever. He is pure light. First Timothy, Timothy says, he dwells in inaccessible light. We're amazed at that. Well, negatively, it means that we don't fall. You know, light gives us the opportunity to not fall. That's why we need to turn the lights on and not stumble. Positively, it gives us what we're looking for. We're reaching out for what we need. And that transparent, exposed, authentic, as opposed to dark and hidden light produces that see sin is the enemy of life god is the champion of of life and of light so we have to receive the message that says god is light and in him is no darkness once we get that now we're going to move on we're going to talk about lies that we must not believe. So you heard those as I read it. There are three lies. They all start with the same phrase. If we claim. You see that there? Verse 6, if we claim. Verse 8, if we claim. Verse 10, if we claim. <laughs> you know, we're claiming this even though it's not true. Okay? The claims I've listed out here for us jot this down. The first one is that sin does not matter. Some people would say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness. Sin doesn't matter. That's what this person is claiming. We claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness. If you do that, you lie and do not live out the truth. See, these false teachers, the Gnostics, claimed to be close to God, and yet they lived lawless, immoral, and bankrupt lives. And so John is just saying, don't live your life as if sin does not matter. That's what our world is doing. That's why we would ask the question, whatever happened to sin in the world? We want to redefine sin and re um, assign it as if we determine what's sinful and what is not. Sinful is anything that keeps us and goes a barrier between God and between us and people. That's what sin ultimately does. In this case, it says we have fellowship with him. If we walk, we're going to talk about that quite a bit today, in the darkness. This is a ongoing continuous action walking there. So he's not talking about a blip on the screen. He's talking about a pattern of your life. If you say, I don't care what God says. I'm doing what I want when I want and how I want. That's the ultimate stance of sinfulness. Doing what you want when you want. Selfishness. When God says, I've got a plan that'll make you both joyful and fruitful. I've got a plan that will encourage you in your life. 
Sin does matter. Don't walk in darkness. Let's take the next one. Some people will say, they'll claim, sin does not exist. That's a little different than it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do what I want. If we claim to be without sin, no sin in my world, no sin in my life, it doesn't exist. Really similar, isn't it? Really similar. I remember a, a, a lady I met, I think she's from, from, from Germany, and her statement, she'd say with a big accent, I don't sin. Like, you don't sin ever? And she was convinced there was no sin in her life. Now, those around her didn't agree. <laughs> and it had, I think it had no bearing on where she was from. It was just interesting she'd say it with the accent she did, you know, that there was no sin in her life. Why do you suppose someone would take that stance? Because if you admit that there's sin in your life, there's a predisposition to say, maybe I need to change. And when people are resistant or reluctant to change, they don't want to admit that there's ever any sin in their life. If you can ignore it, you don't have to change. And so that's what often happens. People ignore it and say, it does not exist. The, 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 Sad problem is, though, the fruit of sin remains. The fruit of sin in someone's life is not something we can hide from or escape from. It follows us. It destroys our life. The consequences are forever with us. You know, God, God forgave David of his sin, but the consequence of David's sinfulness lasted the rest of his life. You know, Peter denied Jesus three times. God forgave him. In fact, Jesus went boom, boom, boom three times and, and said, you know, follow me. Do you love me? And it was like he forgave him. But the consequences for Peter's denial followed him. You follow me? <laughs> you follow me? You know, the consequences for sin. That's what God hates. It's not just the sinful act that God hates. He hates the destruction that it brings to his children. The hurt that is there. Now, did any of you see the uh, coyotes, the um, child traffickers throwing preschoolers over the fence down at the border, down at Mexico border? I don't know about you, but there's something. You just go, it's just inflamed, enraged. Why? Are we allowed? What is happening? Does it make you angry? <laughs> you, you see that kind of abuse? God looks at us and he says, why would somebody be subjected to that kind of hurt and abuse? And we may not see it the same, but God sees the evil one tossing us over the fence. And he's saying, don't, no, no. God hates evil. God hates sin. Not because he hates us. He loves us, but he hates what it's doing to us. Well, maybe it's my, I don't know what it is, but I, when, when someone's abusing a child, it's like, oh, it can't happen. That's why we're trying to highlight Child Abuse Awareness Week, because I think that's a good illustration of how evil the world can be and how dark 
the world can be and how the consequences for sin become apparent. So if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Notice this comparison of darkness and lies. Light and truth, they go together. If we say sin does not exist, we make God out to be a liar. Here's the last one. Sin does not affect me. Verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. If you say, I have no sin, you're saying God is a liar. Because what does God say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.3. The idea there is an archery term. You know this, I think. It has to do with hitting the bullseye with the arrow. And the word for sin is missing the bullseye with the arrow. And it doesn't matter if you miss it by a barn's wall or you miss it by an inch. You miss it. Some get really, really close, but they still miss it. Some are really far away. And you know, God doesn't care in that sense. He hurts for either and for both. He has a plan. He has a joyful plan. He has a plan that will bring about the best life for you and for me. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And the truth is not in us. I'm thinking about the temple scene where Jesus walked in and he started watching people pray and he saw the Pharisee standing up with a loud voice saying I thank God that I'm not like this tax collector I am righteous before you God and he began to talk about his righteousness about his self-righteousness and the tax collector on the other side of the temple wouldn't even look up wouldn't even look up instead of telling God how good you are, he beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. The only chance I've got to even lift my head to you is your mercy and your grace. Jesus said, only one of the two men left the temple forgiven. Guess which one? You see, self-righteousness, oh, I have not sinned. Sin never touched me. It's never really affected me. I'm so good. I am all of it. You see, what does that lead to? You are calling God a liar, and his word is not in you. When you take the posture, which maybe it was easy because of his background. He was a tax collector. Everybody hated him. Maybe it was easy for him to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When you take that posture, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He pours on the grace. He loves to forgive. You're saying with him, I agree with you, God. I am who you say I am, and I need you. I love you. I honor you. Only one went away forgiven. We can't believe these lies. We can't believe the lie that says sin does not matter. 
We cannot believe the lie that says sin does not exist. We can't believe the lies of this world that says it's not affected me. We instead need to admit with God, I am who you say I am. Good and bad. All of it. Well, let's talk about each of these verses have a positive side to it. I call it a walk. In fact, here's what it is. The walk we aim to achieve. These three rhyming words, receive, not believe, and achieve. Okay? What is the walk? What does it look different? How does it look different if we don't claim sin is not a part of our life? What happens when we agree with God? What takes place? Well, the first one is we walk in the light. Well, I mean, that's the whole passage is about, right? Don't walk in darkness. Walk in the light. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. So you're, you're agreeing with him not only in who you are, you're agreeing with him in who he is. You're saying, I want to walk in the light as you are in the light. I'm going to admit what sin I'm going to ask for your help. I'm going to trust you to forgive me, and I'm going to ask for your empowerment not to repeat that. Now, notice the consequence here. We have fellowship with one another. Now, wouldn't you expect it to say we have fellowship with God? I mean, just naturally out of that verse, if we walk in the light, we see in the light, we have fellowship with him. I mean, that's what you'd expect. I love it when he does something you don't expect. Kind of like when getting up and doing a one-sentence sermon, you know? He gets up and he says, if we walk in the light like he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. My goodness. Radically different. You know why he says that? If we're all in this together, we're all in this together. Okay? When you walk in the light, you've got brothers and sisters and a family of God to come together with and have fellowship with. And why? (laughs) Because the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us. We have this, uh, it's it's silly, but I think about the uh, deodorant commercial that says the, the, the more you sweat, the more it works. In a way, that's the way it is with God dealing with our sin. Not that we want to make him work more, but the more you have need, the more you're trusting him, the more you're walking in the light, the more you even realize. I mean, there'll be things as you grow in Christ that you didn't even think about the year two, ten before, that God points out to you, and you say, I'm walking in the light, and he is revealing to me, and I have more fellowship with one another because of that, because of that reason connecting more and more light reveals that so keep on and the idea there is um, when it says walk in the light this is a continuous action it's not well I prayed a prayer and I'm on my way nothing wrong with praying a prayer a prayer of salvation can be a good thing but don't let that be the end point walk walk Doesn't the scriptures talk about that over and over again? Walking in the light as he is in the light. Let's take a second one. So this this verse corresponds to six. We have fellowship with him and we have purification. 
Six is the one that said, if we claim to be without sin, sin doesn't really matter. He said, no, it matters big time, both in relationships and in reality. Second one, he says, if this isn't one of your favorite verses, it might be after today, okay? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. See, light reveals sin and what we need to do is confess. So here's the word for confess. It's to say with. Fession, saying, con with. Saying with, agreeing with God what he says about us and about our behavior, about our actions. When we confess, we say with God what is true. Instead of those, sin doesn't matter, instead of saying sin doesn't exist, sin doesn't affect me, we say the opposite. Sin does exist. Sin does affect me. I do want to let God's leadership provide. So usually when someone does what Ethan did this morning, gets baptized, there's a major time of confession. When I asked him, <laughs> belaboringly, so uh, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? There's a, there's a confession of Jesus. We're agreeing with God on who Jesus is. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's a confession of Jesus, okay? That's good. What we're talking about here is not confessing Jesus. It's confessing sin, if we confess our sins. Now, there's some traditions where you would go to a booth once in a while and confess your sins to a priest. The scripture knows nothing of that. The scripture points out we confess our sins to one another. We confess our sins to the Lord. Okay? That's the, the key for this uh, truth here. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just. And you know where you need to start? You've got to confess them to yourself. Those lies, if we claim, if we claim, if we claim, it's not just so much about other people. It's if we claim it to ourselves. And so it is with confession. You've got to start with yourself. Remember uh, when Jesus was going around with a basin of water and a towel around his waist and he was washing the disciples' feet? And he came to Peter. Do you remember Peter? He's like, no, Lord, I'm not worthy to have my feet washed by you. And Jesus is like, well, if you're not going to let me wash your feet, you don't have a part in this. And so then Peter goes, Peter, this flip-flopper, he goes, well, then give me a bath. <laughs> wash me from head to toe, you know? And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. You've already had a bath. What we're doing now is getting the immediate filth off of your feet. Okay. And I kind of think of that sometimes in our everyday. I mean, we, we get the big plunge. Those of us who've walked into the baptism, those of us that have been buried with Jesus Christ, forgiveness takes place. We're cleansed from head to toe. We're, we're not, not the washing away of filth, the Bible says, but the answer to God of a clear conscience. It's radically done. So then what happens if two weeks later you find yourself caught in a sin and you confess your sin that's more like the foot washing to me 
It's more like you need an immediate cleansing for living in this world and the sin that affects you. When you confess it and he cleanses it, it's just like you just walked out of the baptistry again. Now, someone might say, well, what if, gosh, what if I did something I didn't remember? What if I did something that I'm not confessing? It has to do with an attitude and, a, and, a, and an overall perspective. It's not the pickiness of remember every detail or you're going to go to hell because you forgot to ask for forgiveness for something. It's not about that. It's not some kind of formula like that. But when you have an open and transparent, authentic relationship with God, you are admitting to him where you're going. He'll point out to you things you need to bring to him to admit to him as you admit them to yourself. God loves to purify us. Here's the two words to remember in this one. Forgiveness and purification. Folks, he doesn't want to hold back forgiveness from us. He's not saying, I'm not going to give it to you. He loves to pour on forgiveness. But it is to some degree conditioned on us having a, a, a desire for that. He is not going to force us. God loves to cover us and to purify us. Are you noticing that both of them talk about purifying us from all unrighteousness? Both these verses. Let's take the last one. This is into Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. I write this to you that you will not sin. See, the goal is not that we would just randomly sin and ask, confess it. The goal is that God would grow us by our walking with him. He says, my goal for you is that you will not sin. We want to sin less and obey more. Now, he says, but if anybody does sin, here's what happens. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's why he's so central in our lives. That's why he's the Lord, Savior, and Master of our lives, because he is the advocate for us. You know what an advocate is? An advocate's the defense attorney. It's the one who stands up and pleads your case. He's the one who comes to the righteous father and says, he's mine. I've paid the debt in full. It is no longer to his charge. The debt has been canceled. Boom. Paid in full to Telestai. He is that advocate offense, defense attorney. He is also, if you didn't get this, he is also the atoning one. There you go. Thank you, Dave. He is the atoning one, and he loves us so, so much. See, the Bible says that Jesus satisfies the wrath of God. The wrath of God that should be taken out on us as sinners was taken out on him at the cross. You might be going, why, why wrath? I mentioned it earlier. God hates sin because of what it does to us. I heard a true story this week about a tragedy in Tyler, Texas. A man and his wife had a newborn baby, three-month-old. 
They also had a python snake, a large python snake. The man woke up in the middle of the night to get a snack or something, and he saw a tragic event that the snake had escaped from the terrarium, and the snake had a lump in it. He went to check, and sure enough, the baby was gone. He ran to the garage and grabbed up a wood chopping mull, almost like an axe, and he began to kill this python that had been a pet for some time. And he used that to open the snake, but the damage had already been done. It was too late. It was not savable. And he went out, he, he kept beating, even though the baby was not help, help, able to be helped. He kept beating, and then he ran outside, and to this day, I think he's being affected mental, emotionally. He just couldn't handle And you go, to me, that anger of that dad against that serpent and that instance, to me, that, that feels like the anger of God when the evil one hurts his children, when sin is in our lives instead of his will. He hates it. It's hurting and harming and killing us. And what he wants to do is eliminate that. He wants us, instead of being threatened, he wants us to live and to live holy. That's why he said, for God so loved the world. I mean, there's a side to God that is angry with sin because he hates it. But there's a side to God that loves us in the midst of that. He loves us and doesn't want to punish us, but he is just and he has to punish sin. So there's where the dilemma comes in.